have you ever done anything bad? When I was young, I did something bad. Unforgivable. There was this man, and he was handsome, charismatic, and he noticed me. But I guess I wasn't as tough as we thought. What happened? Nothing. I just, I just feel a bit off. Are you speaking to me? Stay away from me and my kid. Okay, you are mistaking me for someone else. I know him. I know what he's capable of. I've missed you so much. The life we made was perfect. Come after me. Come after my child. I swear to God, I will kill you. He wants to hurt us, but I won't let that happen. I think you're having an episode. I'm the only one that can see you. The only person that really knows who you are. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... And Eric Wong. So tonight we are talking about a very small release, probably the smallest release we've ever done, Andrew Semin's Resurrection, which came out this year at Sundance. And this is a movie that stars Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. This one's also a little hard to find playing in theaters, right? I saw it all the way back in Sundance. Did you guys see it in theaters or did you guys watch it on demand? On demand. Could not find a theater. I think it might be in theaters around me, but I saw it on demand as well. I just couldn't. Yeah, this movie is uh, a mindfuck. That's what it is. It really takes you for a ride. I'm really curious to hear what you guys thought of the movie, but... This is a huge showcase for Rebecca Hall, one of my favorite actresses working right now. She's just fantastic in everything that I see her in, and this is definitely no exception. Definitely a powerhouse performance here. She's been in Iron Man 3, The Prestige, Christine. What else has she been in? Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. The Night House, which is kind of similar to this, uh, another woman on the verge horror thriller type movie. Did you guys see The Night House? I have not. No, I didn't either. Great movie, by the way. Yeah, so what is your familiarity with Rebecca Hall? Do you guys like her performances? What have you seen her in? I feel like I went into her with like a, a positive valence. I was like, oh, I really like Rebecca Hall. But then I was like looking at her filmography. I was like, why do I like Rebecca Hall again? Like, well, like what is it I saw her in that I'm like, ooh, I really liked her? Because I've seen a bunch of these movies, but I just don't remember like which is the one that made me like go, ooh. It wasn't Frost Nixon. It wasn't The Town. It wasn't like The Awakening. It wasn't, uh, what were you mentioning earlier? Uh, the Prestige. The Prestige. It probably wasn't The Prestige either. It's not like she's bad in that, but that's not like an ooh, like look at this actress. It's not Iron Man 3, right? 
It's not like she blows you away <laughs> in Iron Man 3. I, like, I couldn't really pin down why I just had a good feeling about her. Maybe because I heard she was good in, uh, uh, what was that horror movie from last year? The Night... The Night House. Night House. The Night House. Maybe because I heard she was good in The Night House. Or, I don't know, Vicky Cristina Barcelona? Is she even that good in that? Like, is that... She's great in Christine. That's the one that... Yes. That's really good. That's the movie about... The Reporter, right? Yeah, the movie about Christine Chubbuck, who killed herself on air. Another woman mm-hmm. breaking down movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do know that she's good at those roles. I do know that she has a penchant for those roles. And then she does a really good job with them. But I can't pin down exactly why. I, I felt like even going into this that I liked her. But my instincts at least were correct. He's fucking great in this. I actually thought she was fantastic in The Prestige. You know, she plays Christian Bale's beleaguered wife in that one. And mm-hmm. she's fucked up the entire movie because she's really married to two men. She's like, oh, one day you love me and the other day you don't. And that was like really a fucked up performance. And she ends up hanging herself in that movie. So spoilers for The Prestige, a fucking <laughs> 16-year-old movie. But yeah, uh, she's great in that. Holy shit, it's been 16 years yeah, since The Prestige Yeah, 2006. It was crazy. Also, a, now a director, too. A, a pretty buzzy filmmaker in her own right, because she directed Passing from last year. Did you guys see Passing? I didn't. People said it was mm-hmm. good. I actually didn't see it. I didn't realize until recently that she's drawing on something true to her own life, right? She's like, yeah. has like 10% Sub-Saharan African ancestry, so it's interesting. Yeah, big awards player. Uh, but she's like obviously very light-skinned. Her mother, who was... You know, had African American history, also very, very light skinned. So I, I guess passing has some personal connection. She has some personal connection with that concept. I do love her as an actress as well. It's funny that you say what you said, Amir. Once you started saying that, I started thinking about. It. I was like, yeah, you're right. She hasn't really been in too many. I feel like starring roles in a lot of like major movies. It's only really in maybe the last couple of years that she's kind of made that turn. But then they're starring roles in like smaller films, right? That not everyone is maybe seen. I have seen Christine and I do really love that movie. And like, that's- Yeah, it's a good one. That's one of the ones I've seen that I've taken notice of her. But I agree with mm-hmm. Jeff. Like, I think even her roles as far as back as the prestige have been great. I really do appreciate her as an actress. And I do think that this might be her best role that I've seen her in at least. Yeah. Like, I think she's a tour de force in this movie. She's in pretty much the whole movie. I think every scene involves her. Yeah. And it's a great performance. You know, I even like her in Iron Man 3. I think it's one of those villains where it's like a little more layered than what we're getting these days from the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Her part was rewritten because she was supposed to be the main villain instead of Guy Pierce's. uh Aldrich Killian. But then they were like, no, we can't have her as the villain, which kind of sucked. I would have loved to see her like chew up scenery a little bit more instead of just being killed off in the third act, you know? Especially now that I know like more of what she's capable of as an actress. But yeah, I mean, I, I at least knew good things of her, even if all the stuff I've seen her and I can't pinpoint the one that maybe kind of pay attention. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's all very good. By contrast, I don't know Andrew Siemens at all. No, I think this is maybe like his first movie, I want to say. Second. Didn't he do something in like 2012? Uh, Nancy Please? Is that even a fucking movie? (laughs) I'm completely unfamiliar with his work, but I hope he directs more stuff because this movie is fucking nuts. This movie is what I wanted Alex Garland's men to be. Yes, and it wasn't. that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> right? I knew this was going to come up. <laughs> I knew this was going to exactly come up. exactly what I was thinking. I think this is everything that I wanted that movie to be. And Undoubtedly, I also had to make those comparisons too. So like, we'll, yeah. we'll get into that. And this movie like sneaks up on you. This is like a sneak attack kind of movie because it's very by the books, mid-aughts psychodrama. You know, like stalker 
story, a woman being stalked by her ex. It follows that convention pretty closely until it does not. So what did you guys think of the movie? <laughs> so basically, we all like Rebecca Hall, but can't put our finger on why, and nobody knows the director. Um, <laughs> yes. So yeah, I guess I'll start. I really like this. It's not my typical genre fair. This is not the kind of thing I normally am, am super into. Um, I was still moderately excited to see it based on Rebecca Hall buzz and having heard it was good, but I was still pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this. I think it's just super competently directed. I think Rebecca Hall's fantastic. She's got a great look too for like a, uh-huh. I don't know, a woman at the edge look. She's so tall and thin and like gaunt and drawn looking big eyes. Like she just like has a great look for the role too. Yeah. I thought the movie was excellent. And like you said, it does kind of get weird and do slightly different things with the formula. So um, overall, I liked it. But man, kind of a bummer of a movie. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. definitely yes. a bummer of a movie. What do you think, Derek? I've already said I really loved Rebecca Hall's performance. Or I really loved the movie for, I think, what it says about trauma and the price, I guess, trauma has on a person. But also like the product of trauma, what it could do to those around you and then how it affects you even years and years and years down the line and how it so easily can creep back up or like be unhinged all over again. Mm -hmm. And I I loved all the key players in this movie. I think Tim Roth is just so creepy and this great foil to Rebecca Hall's margaret character i love her daughter abby i even love the intern right the gwen character i love gwen gwen is so funny in this and then the peter character the boyfriend like i think all the key players all really work in like telling this story about trauma i mean those are the only people in the movie right yeah right it's a really really contains five people in the cast yeah and they all work really well but i will say that when it came to the end i did not like the ending i knew you weren't gonna like the ending (laughs) (laughs) i mean not to give the ending away yet if you're trying to stay away from spoilers i think there is this very horror-esque ending that kind of comes in at the 11th hour for this movie and i was enjoying the movie more as like a psychological thriller versus when it introduces the horror elements is when i think i get lost the movie kind of loses me It's so funny that you bring up the men comparison because I knew you would, Jeff. Uh, (laughs) But I think why that movie worked better for me was that it creeped in the horror elements very early or throughout the movie versus this, like I said, comes in the 11th hour and I couldn't buy it. Interesting. It's definitely a bit of a left turn. I mean, men also takes a weird left turn at the end, but you're right. There's a bit of a drip beforehand. You kind of get the sense they're going to do something weird with it. I do have my mixed feelings about the ending. It's definitely... The sort of any that Jeff loves and Derek hates. Like, it's definitely <laughs> like this ambiguous, complicating, surreal ending that it's a richer texture to the movie, but I don't know if it adds to my enjoyment of it. I don't know. I agree with that sentiment. Like, like I said, I really liked the movie up until that point. Like, I think as a psychological thriller, this was amazing to watch, right? Like, the back and forth between the David and Margaret character and seeing like the kindnesses come through throughout the movie and what it does to her relationship with her daughter and her boyfriend. It's nuts on a different kind of level. And like, I just kind of wish didn't depart from that, I guess. I'm firmly in the other camp on this. I mean, obviously, I actually don't think this movie works quite as well without the ending and its ambiguity, because there's so many movies about trauma. Every movie 
or horror movie at least is about trauma these days. I think it's like an overplayed kind of thing. And a lot of movies are about women being gaslit by these horrible men. And this movie is no different. But I think it has something more to say other than like, oh, being manipulated and abused and like gaslit is wrong and bad, which is Mm -hmm. kind of what men feels like. But here it's more about what that manipulation and gaslighting feels like rather than like a commentary on the nature of why that's bad. I mean, it's obviously bad, but like in this movie, I think the ending, the ambiguity adds to what something like that could feel like. I think we'll get to that later in the movie when we reveal the big twist of the movie, I guess. But I think I'm just going to read the logline for this movie. If you're listening, you should probably have seen this movie, but just to give people an idea of what this movie is actually about. uh, Rebecca Hall plays Margaret, and the logline says, Margaret's life is in order. She is capable, disciplined, and successful. Soon her teenage daughter, who Margaret raised by herself, will be going off to a fine university, just as Margaret had intended. Everything is under control. That is until David returns, carrying with him the horrors of Margaret's past. So David is played by Tim Roth. This movie really functions as a pretty standard psychological thriller, and it's shot that way, too. I think there are very striking visual similarities between movies like this and like psychological thrillers filmed in like the mid-2000s. Like I said, a mid-aught psychodrama. But then the movie takes a huge left turn, which I fucking love. <laughs> mm-hmm. So are you guys on board with the left turn in the movie, or did the ending throw you guys off? Okay, so maybe before we get into it, let's just say, let's go into spoilers, right? But let's okay. maybe describe what happens. I feel like we can't really dive into this unless we know exactly. Like, you know, everyone kind of knows exactly what we're talking about, right? So the whole thing is that... Margaret is like this career woman. She's successful. She's in control of her life. She's very controlling of her daughter. She smothers her with attention. She's very in control of her professional life, too. She's an executive. She spends her time exercising. She spends her time having sex with her underling, which is kind of fucked up to do. Who is married, by the way. Yes, who is married, yes. And as a kid, yeah. I didn't realize he was an underling. I thought he was just a co-worker. I mean, it's someone who's in, like, the bullpen versus she has her, like, own main office. Yeah, she has her own office. You'll feel that dynamic. Just through that that small little detail, I think. The big thing that happens in this movie is that she is at a conference, right? She's at some sort of conference, and she catches a glimpse of Tim Roth's David, who she shares a very complicated history with. She freaks the fuck out when she sees him for a very good reason. Margaret and David's backstory really is the crux of this movie. And it's revealed through this incredible 10-minute single-take monologue by Rebecca Hall, which I think we'll get into the filmmaking and the context around it later. But she basically recounts her past with him in this monologue. And she says that when she was 18, she moved with her parents to the Queen Charlotte Islands in Canada and there she wanted to become an artist, and that's also where she meets David. I believe she's 19, and he's much older. I don't think his age is specified, but they quickly develop a romantic relationship. And she moves in with him just weeks after meeting him. And it isn't before long that his abusive, manipulative nature begins to show. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, Derek, he forces Margaret to perform these quote-unquote kindnesses for him, which mm-hmm. start with cooking and cleaning, but then turn into things that are much more abusive and sinister, like forcing her to take medication, not allowing her to pursue her art, not letting her wear her shoes, 
making her fast for days at a time and placing her in stress positions. In return, she would be lavished with praise from this older man. And this surprise reappearance of David just throws her vibe completely off. You could say that. That's a very <laughs> understated way of putting it. Um, it drives her into a full-on panic attack, and she starts to relive this abuse. She's freaking out. But over the course of the movie, she loses her grip on reality, but I guess uh, that's maybe racing ahead. Keep going, Jeff. So the movie's big dive into horror slash body horror, and, you know, it's ambiguity comes from the rest of Margaret's story, where she says that she got pregnant and that David eventually forbade her from having the child, goading her into getting an abortion out of fear that she wouldn't, you know, prioritize him anymore. The baby named Benjamin is eventually born, but one day David sends Margaret out for an errand and when she returns, the baby is gone and the only thing remaining are Ben's severed fingers on the counter. Apparently, David had eaten Ben just so he could have Margaret to himself. He says he ate Ben, right? Yes, he says he ate Part Ben. Part of the whole movie, the whole time, is like, did he actually do that? Or was he, you know, gaslighting her and saying that? But he mm-hmm. just somehow disposed of the baby, right? Yeah. It's a pretty extreme thing to say you ate your baby. Um, <laughs> that's one thing I did appreciate about the movie. is just like, you are very much put in a scenario where you feel you're being gaslit, right? Because like, that's so outrageous. Exactly. That's so yeah. outrageous. And you're just like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to believe that or not, right? So yeah. that's part of the power and like what I like about the movie and like the Tim Roth character is that he is almost this, not unconventional, but like I've not seen this kind of predator too much in like movies where it, let's be honest, Tim Roth is not very, to me at least, he's not very physically imposing. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like physically scared of the dude, but like psychologically, he is a terror in this movie. He's so scary in this movie. He really does a good job playing this. Yeah, he's incredible. Absolute piece of work. So he claims that Margaret abandoned their kid. So he kept the baby safe by putting their kid in his belly. That's what he says. He says, Mm -hmm. Ben is with me right now here, here being inside him. And the whole thing is like, this is completely fucking ludicrous. There's no way this is true. It's like a manipulation. And this is where it goes into what you were saying, Derek. This is what being gaslit feels like because Margaret can hear and feel the baby through Mm -hmm. him. So what actually is real what isn't you you know what i mean like it just feels very real to like experience what that manipulation feels like and i think that goes into the ending i think the ambiguity there is what makes this movie work okay yeah before we get into like the ending i do want to talk about some of the things i really really liked before we got there i think her monologue in the middle of the movie is just spectacular the one where she reveals what happened to her with the David character and when we finally learn about the baby. Yeah, that's the highlight of the movie, for sure. A hundred percent. I mean, I even love the camera work in that, where it's just like a close-up on her face and like... Yeah, it starts pushing it on our face. Uh-huh. Pushes on our face and like even the background just fades away and it's just completely black. It looks like she's just talking in this like completely black room and I thought to feel that kind of isolation for her was so powerful in that scene. Yeah, just like claustrophobic. Yes, I feel. yeah pushing in on her like that yeah i completely agree with you like that scene was the highlight of this movie and like even that scene alone maybe is worth the price of admission right for Mm -hmm. this movie and like why i still really do like this movie a lot 
that's like the psychological thriller part that I really like that I was mentioning earlier. Like uh, the only thing I'll say is I think you're leaving out that uh, Marco's character is very problematic because she's trauma dumping on her intern Gwen. Uh, I think Margaret should be canceled for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's really funny because, you know, the movie opens up actually with Margaret helping uh, Gwen through leaving an abusive partner. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, no, she like talks her into leaving a sadistic abusive partner, right? It's not yeah. a breakup. She wasn't breaking up with right, the guy right, until right. Margaret's like, oh, this guy's a complete piece of shit. Sadist, like break up with him. And she talks her through it and helps her out with it. And so, you know, um, as Margaret is unraveling with the appearance of her manipulative abusive ex uh the appearance after 20 years of, of this guy and she's clearly coming undone you know gwen reaches out to her and just says hey like is there anything you need to talk about uh, i'm a great listener and so then margaret just does this like i don't know 10 minute monologue it's literally 10 minutes yeah it's incredible and then it, <laughs> it's really funny because then the camera finally after this this insane long shot this insane story you just heard just cuts to Gwen's face and she's like, what the fuck did I just hear? She's like, she's is like this a crying. test? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's just like, wait, like, what is this? Like, what just happened? Is that real? Like, that's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. Like, are you testing me? Like, what is happening? And so Margaret's just like, you know what? Uh, don't worry about it. Just forget I said anything. Well, it's great the way she exits out of her monologue too, right? Where she says something to the effect of like, I've never told anyone that, so you should be honored that I told yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who wants to feel honored that you just told them, like, one of the most traumatic things, like, anyone could hear about somebody else, right? It's insane. This is where you feel the power dynamic, right? Because Gwen's always coming to her office asking her, like, oh, is the recommendation done or whatever? Like, asking about recommendations, asking about, like – and so you can feel there, like, wait, what? So you can feel the, yeah. the inappropriateness of this. Also, Gwen is kind of like us. Right? Because we're listening to yeah. this thing, and it takes that turn where, like, he did what to the baby? You know, like, because, like, up until this point, it's like, oh, like, David's, like, clearly a bad guy, and he's come back, and, like, this is clearly a horrible thing for Margaret. But then, like, you don't know why. For her to tell this 10-minute monologue story about how David ate their baby... You're just sitting there like slack job. Is this really what's happening in the movie right now? Is that like the turn that this movie's going for? You know? And I think that's probably one of the biggest like what the fuck moments in like movie going for me this year. And the performance here is phenomenal. To do that in like that one 10 minute monologue, it's insane. So that's the sort of point midway through the movie where you figure out why Margaret is so scared of David and why David is back. And man, he's just such a prick. Like, <laughs> he's sort of following her around. He's at the conference. He's in a diner. He's in a nearby park. And she goes and she finally initiates contact with him. And she's like, hey, stay away from me. Stay away from my daughter, blah, blah, blah. And first he pretends he doesn't know her. And then he uses her name. And then he tries to gaslight her. He's like, oh. Remember, you walked up to me and introduced yourself, and we were talking about your daughter and everything. Don't you remember? You shook my hand. Dude, he's such a piece of shit. Yeah. I, like, burst out laughing because I was like, holy shit, what a piece of shit. And it's great because even in the next scene, Margaret's back at home. She's going, you shook my hand? Like, she's repeating it to herself, incredulous. Just like, what a fucking asshole. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, yeah, he's just an incredibly scary dude. And one thing I do want to mention that, does come to play in the movie. It's something you said earlier, Derek. You were saying that Tim Roth isn't that scary to you physically, but um, he's definitely 
like scary enough to overpower Margaret multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. Physically. So that sort of, I don't know, gender dynamic does come into play. It's not like a, I don't know, she's not like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or some shit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this old, out of shape, like 60 year old dude is still able to overpower her. Yeah. I don't really know if Tim Roth can fucking beat up Rebecca Hall, but like, <laughs> but just like, it's an interesting inversion of in these sort of empowering action movies. It's like, no, this is the opposite of that. You're not going to get out of it that way. I, I want to go back to something you said actually earlier when you said after she's done telling her story about the baby and Ben and everything, kind of like the moment where we realize like how scary Tim Roth is. Like, I don't think that was the moment for me per se, just because like, Again, I've already kind of mentioned like this story about eating a baby is like it threw me off and like I don't know if I can believe it or not, right? Oh, interesting. It's a story where she said he said, right? She didn't actually see him eat the baby. It's it's something he just said, right? So it's like I don't know if you could believe it. The creepiest part for me was seeing the kindnesses through the movie. How it begins where he tells her like I want you to walk to work barefoot. Dude, that was the the saddest part of the movie for me, I think, because that's when you realize mm-hmm. that like he still has her, right? He's still in her head. Then the other one where he's like, you remember the position. I want you to do that tonight in the park. Yeah. It's just a scene where she's kneeling down and her hands are clasped behind her. That was the moment that scared me the most. Because like, that's the power that he has over her. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Once she went from like defiant and trying to get help, she does go to the cops who are, of course, useless. Because Tim Ruff, like at this point, I guess quite smartly, he hasn't reached out to her. She's reached out mm-hmm. to him, and he hasn't overtly done anything that they can get him on. I'm assuming that, like, the cop is following the letter of the law in this movie. He's not supposed to be, like, an especially douchey cop. It's just, like, the cops are sometimes useless in these kind of situations, right? Yeah. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's the point here, right? But she's done that. She's reached out to the cop. She has a gun in her house. You know, she's tried all these things to fight back. And then because she says to him in the diner when she confronts him, she's like, I don't do those kind of things anymore. I don't negotiate with you, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, great. She's on top of this. And then she does it anyway, right? She does that first thing he asked her to do. And that's the point where mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no. I don't know. You just you wonder, like, hey, like if he'd never come back in her life, would she have been able to keep going? Or was she always this sort of fucked up and damaged underneath, right? Like, was this trauma always there under the surface just waiting, you know? Like, obviously, it affected her in her, the way she acted with her daughter. But she was okay. She was functioning. And then just her life is completely upended. I don't know. It turns out even after 20 years, she's not fully – there's no way you can get away from it. Another thing to compare contrast is this stark dichotomy of what Margaret is like under David's thrall and what she's like when she's free, right? Like her exacting nature and the fact that she's an overachiever in the corporate world and her need to be on top, you know, control her own body, control her own child, control her lover – It's a direct contrast to the trauma she underwent with David's abuse and what she was like uh, when she was with him. I was just reading something about like how accurate the portrayal of the language of abuse is in this movie, of like all the things that David says to like exert that hold. Yeah, you could just tell, right? Yeah, like you know, threatening the baby. If you kill me, you kill him, and then really making her question her own identity and like her selfhood, he's the only one who can see her for who she is, right? He says, like, I'm the only person who can see you and who really knows who you are. Blaming Margaret for, like, the things that are happening to Ben, using Ben's innocence to, like, 
really fuck up Margaret's psyche, right? He says, Ben can't understand why you allowed this to happen, why you let him get hurt, why you ran. What kind of mother abandons her own child, right? That's like what he said. That's like such fucking manipulative gaslighter language that seems very, very accurate. Yeah. Outright threatening Abby, right? Like he just comes out and threatens her daughter, like pretending that like, oh, I'm only going to ask you just this one thing and I'm not going to do anything else. Like, yeah, just, I don't know. It has that feeling of verisimilitude. Yeah. I mean, I particularly love the relationship she has with her daughter too, right? Abby. Um, Mm -hmm. And like the breakdown of that, the power of trauma. You know, at the beginning of the movie, she's just really like an overbearing mother. But Mm -hmm. then you start to see where his influence is like the things that he used to do to her, she's doing to her own daughter, right? This idea of control and like having her to like telling her what to do. She's an overprotective mother because she lost a child and she has this history of like abuse and manipulation. But I don't think you're supposed to draw a parallel between what he does and what she does. There's a connection, right? In that she's fucked up because of it and so she's not treating her daughter well. But I don't like that comparison. The thing is, I think you are – I can't remember the line. But there's like a specific line she says to the Abby character that was very reminiscent of something Tim Roth says to her earlier. Yeah, but she lies to her daughter to protect her. She's overly controlling. But – She's not like a gaslighting abuser. She's an overprotective mother who's been wounded by trauma. And like, yeah, maybe she crosses the line with her daughter and pushes her away. But she's also in the midst of a of like a life altering mental health crisis, right? That's fair. I mean, that's just how I read it. Okay. I mean, do you guys want to get into the ending here, or yeah, let's do it. So Margaret tries to kill Tim Roth the whole time. You're kind of hoping she does, right? But it's not really that kind of movie. She tries to confront him and he overpowers her and he starts getting to do these kindnesses, these manipulative, like abusive tasks of compliance. And like in the end, he like comes to her work and has her meet him at a hotel. At this point, her daughter's already run out of her life out of fear for how her mother's acting. She's lost her relationship with her uh, underling or whatever. <laughs> um, and so she goes to this meetup with David. And he's got like a nice hotel room. It's clearly meant to be like a seduction. And he opens up with how he's missed her in the last 20 years and how they can be together. And now like she can be with Ben. And it's like this insane sick shit. And she puts her hand on his stomach and she hears like her dead child crying out to her. And you know, the whole movie she's been assisting, no, Ben's dead. He's not inside you. And then I guess at the end here, she kind of breaks and she starts to hear Ben and, and sort of believe this or maybe pretend to believe it and uh you know i don't know tim roth's character is using this to initiate physical touch right he has her touch his stomach it's like a pregnant woman almost where you feel the baby kicking his gulk and you feel ben kicking their their dead son that he killed and supposedly ate it's like this really like sick inversion right Mm -hmm. and so but he uses that to kind of try and initiate physical touch and restart like a physical relationship but she kind of recoils and gets up and she pulls out a knife that she had strapped to her arm, and she slashes him in the face, uh, slashes his ear. They start to fight, and he manages to get the knife away from her. And he sort of wins the fight handily, but then she has another knife. Yeah. <laughs> which is insane. Uh, so she's come just, like, strapped with knives to her. So she pulls another knife that's been strapped to her ankle. Um, she starts knife fighting with David. And she's able to, in the end... Uh, even though he stabs her in the shoulder, she stabs him in the uh, in the flank. 
She's in the end able to win this fight, cut the back of his foot, tie him to a chair, and she uh, she tries to cut Ben out of him, right? Because at this point, she believes that her son is trapped within the body of his father, still alive somehow, 22 years later. So she eviscerates David. She slices open his stomach and pulls his intestines out. And uh, under the intestines, there's a live baby. <laughs> yeah, Ben is alive. Or at least in her reality, Ben is alive. And then it cuts to a dream sequence. Well, it seems to be pretty clearly a dream sequence where her daughter Abby is back and is like saying she's ready to leave for college and she holds the baby Ben and that's the end of the movie. Is it a dream sequence though? <laughs> So, what the fuck did you guys think about this fucking ending? Well, what the fuck happened here? I guess, Derek, you didn't like it. Do you want to start? Well, I had a question first before I guess I told you my opinion. So, is the ambiguity that is he actually in there or is the ambiguity come from the dream sequence? Like, is the end an actual dream sequence? I think the end is definitely an actual dream sequence. I think, obviously, no baby inside of David, right? So, I think the question is just like, when does her break from reality happen? And like, when do you start melding into this weird place where your reality and the film's reality are both knocked for a loop? I think those are the real questions. I don't know. So Jeff, you think the ambiguity is that there is potentially could be a baby or not a baby, but then Amir, you believe there is no baby. No, there's no baby. Jeff, do you believe there's no baby? I don't think that's the important question because obviously it's ridiculous, right? The whole thing hinges upon this ludicrous gaslighting that david has put margaret through from our perspective i mean obviously this can't be true but i think it's the metaphor here that is more powerful than how what the fuck this ending is you know and i think that's where you can like draw the line to alex garland's men and how much more powerful this is than that movie because they traffic in like the similar imagery right men giving birth Mm -hmm. in this surreal third act denouement of the movie and where men didn't really know what it wanted to say about all of rory kinnear's characters giving birth and stuff other than like you know the on the nose commentary that it wanted to say i think here there are a lot of layers here where like david being the one who's pregnant in this either made-up scenario or, I don't know, hallucination or whatever, I think that is a commentary on taking away Margaret's motherhood and, like, her sense of self. That's one of the primary things that you can take away from that, because motherhood is obviously a big part of being a woman, and I feel like this is the commentary on how adept David is at just completely dismantling Margaret as a person. Also, just like I said earlier about like how this movie makes you experience what being gaslit feels like. Because I think like in real life, the examples obviously aren't extreme as like, oh, my ex-husband ate my baby and is gestating him safely in his belly or whatever. You know, that's not something that happens in real life. But like, this is making Margaret feel like that's something that could happen to her. And it's like an extreme example of what that manipulation feels like and something that we can understand in that context. The part that's kind of missing here a little bit is also not missing, but I think maybe we didn't emphasize enough also that this is like a twofold hit. It's not just 
the gaslighting abuse from David. And the movie is also about the pain of the loss of a child and how you're unable to deal with that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we did, we did talk about this, but we're kind of talking around. But like, there is that too. It's not just the David's abuse part. There's also the loss of a child being uh, like this gaping ball that you can never fill. What are you going to say, David? Uh, David, what are you going to say, David? David. <laughs> Whoa, no! <laughs> I know um, how I feel about you in this podcast. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I feel like there's a couple things I want to react to what Jeff said. To go back to like, I guess the difference between like men in this movie. I think for me, what I enjoyed about men and what something actually you brought up during our review of men, Amir, was the purpose of the friend that shows up at the end of men, right? Is to kind of validate all the things that we saw. Right. It solidified what we saw as not just an illusion, but as like fact, right? As something that like right, it's the external observer who validates your abuse as being a real thing, so you can no longer be gaslit. Yes, but then you kind of compare it to this movie. That's why I've asked the question about is the baby real or not, and like I think that's important to me because if it isn't real, then in this kind of like post Me Too era, this is a movie about a woman who has like a mental breakdown, and like that's what she is. She's just crazy right by the end of this movie i think that takes away a little bit from her character right like at the end like that's the characterization that i didn't quite like and like why i didn't like the ending i get it it's just another woman going crazy like yeah and she can't handle her emotions whoa but like i think where that's maybe a little bit unfair is that i feel like the movie does such a good job of putting you in her shoes that you get why she's crazy. You're like, oh, clearly Mm -hmm. anybody would go crazy if they had this happen to them, right? I think that is how the movie kind of dug itself out of that hole for me. Like, I don't think the movie is like, I don't know, ultimately unsympathetic or using this trauma in any way. I get what you're saying. It's like, oh, they're just like doing a trope. They're just like doing another woman's crazy thing. But I don't see it that way. I I think the point is like, Maybe not anyone would be crazy, but like you understand why she's crazy. You understand how awful all of this was. The movie does enough to put you in her shoes that I don't think it falls in that category for me, but I get your concern there. So what I was saying earlier about like how something so extremely surreal and David's manipulation here feels real, I think that is kind of what Amir's kind of getting at, mm-hmm. where obviously he didn't eat the baby obviously the baby's not inside david right but then like what do you do when you have evidence that it is real where like you can feel the baby kicking you can hear its cries inside his belly right and i feel like that's what being gaslit kind of feels like you know what i mean so like i don't think the question of whether it's real or not is the important one And it's more about, like, the metaphor itself. I totally agree with all what you guys are saying. Like, that's why I said, like, I think this as a psychological thriller worked really well. Like, this idea of Mm -hmm. even I wasn't convinced, like, is she actually hearing the baby? Is she actually hearing it? Or is she, like, thinking that she hears it, right? And, like, that being a part of, like, the manipulation that David does, right? All of that really works. And, like, I think for me, it, it then... It gets really muddled when you do show, like, an actual baby in this person, right? But then show a dream sequence where it's like clearly not real to me. Then it leans to the, well, she had a psychotic breakdown. I actually think about the opposite. Like, what if the baby was real and she actually did stab him out of him? Like, I would have been like fine with that. I'd have been like, yeah, get yours, man. Like, this fucking douchebag like took your baby for this many years. Do what you need to do, right? Like, it's... How would this movie even convince you that it was real and not surreal, right? The whole point is that you can't 
undo the loss of a child, right? Like that's the yeah. point of the movie, right? Yeah. You can't undo the loss of a child. And you can't undo, I don't know, not to be like negative about people being able to heal trauma and stuff, but like, I guess in some cases you cannot undo the damage that's done to you by abusers, I guess. Yeah. The, the one thing I do like about the dream sequence is right at the end where, it, I mean, it is washed out white and then you kind of see the turn, right? Uh, where it starts to like gray out again and it becomes like, like that really muted Yeah, gray it zooms in on Margaret's there. face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think she's getting her happy ending, but like there's no way she's ever going to be like completely happy, right? And I understood that. And I like that about the ending. But again, I just, I could not wrap my head around this fake baby in person thing. Yeah. I think the fact that we're even having this discussion where we couldn't really with Alex Garland's men makes this movie better, right? Because like, what does men have to say other than, oh, you know, fucking men are bad, you know? Men has all the guys have the same face, but then be different guys. Whereas this is one guy, Tim Roth, with a Mm -hmm. very specific backstory and very specific abuse who stands in for all abusers, right? It's like the inverted thing. Um, yeah, I guess it, it works much better. I think that the turn to this kind of like horror element comes out of nowhere for me. It, besides the fact that he's saying, you know, I ate the baby. Yes, yeah. maybe you can argue like, hey, it was there from the beginning, right? Because he said, but like in no point in this movie did I believe there's going to be any kind of supernatural element to this, right? I still think about what this movie could have been without that. And I still think it would have worked and still been of as effective what about the fact that there's a baby that we see in someone's body that adds to this movie i guess in my mind it's just not as fun yeah i think it goes back i don't know to me at least this is what i'm coming around to just mulling over and talking to you guys it's like it comes back to the inability to go back again right like you can't ever get back your dead child and that's a wound that's never going to heal and but you don't think that could have been as effective if she actually opened him up and then you saw inside and there was nothing. There is nothing there for her to get back. I don't know. I think that actually having the baby there it takes you into her world of being unable to accept those things, right? Like, mm-hmm. like if she yeah, okay, sees see the baby there, then it's like, oh, okay, there's no baby there. Like, we're back to reality and I just murdered my abusive ex-husband in a knife fight in a hotel. And now I'd better go like hide the evidence and like well it becomes like a crime thriller or some shit like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't you know what i mean like that makes it too rooted in reality i think that yeah the surreality does add something to it then you're just becoming that mid-2000s psychosexual thriller or whatever you know like yeah there's nothing there for you to dig into if she just cuts him open and there's no baby it's like oh i guess i was just going nuts and that's the end of the movie i feel like there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to dissect. There's just what it is matter of factly is just kind of boring to me. I like being able to dig into the ambiguities of this movie. And I don't know. I, we didn't even talk about the hallucination of the baby in the oven, which is fucking insane. Yeah, that was nuts. There's <laughs> a screeching burnt baby in the oven as a hallucination. All right. Did you guys have anything else to say? I think the visual of the end of men is still more fun to me. Seeing him like give birth to many versions of himself. You know, people might not like that movie. I still think it's like a more powerful, not more powerful, but more like unique image for me. Yeah. Like I I wouldn't take all the criticism and to be like, it was a complete piece of shit or something. There were some arresting images in it and it did do some cool stuff. I think men just went a little overboard with too many births at the end. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I could have used like three less maybe. And then three less. (laughs) 
And not actually being the boyfriend. Yes, exactly. I think that's <laughs> the real death knell for that scene. But there's mm-hmm. things in men that I liked. Like I said, I do really like this movie. I guess just up into the end. Like I couldn't finish the ride, I guess, um, with this movie. Last thing I will say is I also watched Bodies, Bodies, Bodies this weekend. Ooh. And it was actually a really interesting double feature for this movie. Because that movie kind of deals a lot with relationships and gaslighting as well like that's a really strong motif in that movie too i mean i think that movie has its problems i don't think it's as strong as this movie but i had a lot of fun with it and i think it's an interesting double feature just to say i want to recommend another double feature so if you want to do a double feature of women on the verge having crazy freakouts you should watch this and also the 1981 andre zalowski movie possession Mm. resurrection gave me a lot of possession vibes it's not quite as surreal and monstrous as I would say Possession is. But if you guys want to watch that, Sam Neill is in it. Isabella Johnny. Really wild movie too. Also about relationships, noxious bonds, pregnancies. Just wild, surreal stuff there too. So uh, 1981's Possession if you guys want to check that out. I think it's like considered a cult classic now. So... I think that will conclude this week's episode. Where can people find more of your guys' work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? Um, you know what? This is a fucked up movie. I don't got one for you guys tonight. What about you, Derek? You can find me at the World's Okayest Photos and Screen Ages Guild on Instagram. But if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. Uh, If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to more people. Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on resurrection, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail. Sometimes we read it on the pod. And with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.